Amen. You may be seated. If you would bow with me in prayer, and then we're going to open God's word in uh, Acts chapter 9 as we go back to Acts today. But let's pray first. Lord, we we thank you for this day. We thank you for the time that we have to gather together as your people. We pray that as we open your word that you would speak clearly to us. We thank you that you have inspired and kept your word, that you tell us that you speak clearly to us through it. We pray, though, that as we open it, uh, that you would be moving in this place, that the Holy Spirit would take the eternal truths of your words and apply them to our lives and our hearts and our minds. Uh, We confess each week as we come in and we gather together, just as we just sang, that, Lord, we need you. We need you to be the one who teaches and leads and guides us, that we cannot do this on our own. And so we ask that you would be moving in this place that you would be teaching and showing us. I pray that we'd be greatly encouraged uh, by your word and the way that you love us and the things that you're doing. And we pray that we would just see that afresh this morning. That we would leave here having grown closer to you. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I just recently, uh, for the, I'm kind of ashamed to admit, for the first time in like 20 years, uh, I went to the doctor. <laughs> I actually had, uh, I'm actually married to a doctor, so I go to the doctor every day. So maybe that's, uh, I kind of, that's my end around. Like, well, you can always tell me if something's wrong. And my wife continually says, no, you need to go to the doctor. And so I went and uh, had a physical recently, and you get uh, blood work and all the stuff done, and you get back, and the doctor sits down with you, and he goes over all the numbers and all the things, and these are the ranges, and this is what it should be, and your your cholesterol and your blood pressure and all your stuff. And, and, and thankfully, it was it was all good. I was in all the the good ranges. But what you get when you get that and you go through all those things is it's just kind of a general look at your health. Uh, it tells you a lot of things. And it tells you all these different categories. And as they kind of decipher that for you and they walk through it, you get to the end and it kind of tells a story of your overall health. And you can kind of see where you are. Now, we do that in a lot of different ways. Obviously, that's probably the clear way Uh, we go to the doctor. We get those things. We see that clearly. We do the same thing maybe when we're in school, uh, when we take an exam. We've been studying something and we get to the point and now the professor says we're going to have an exam. And we go and we take the exam and it gives us kind of feedback on where we are, how we're doing. You know, sometimes you do really well and sometimes you do poorly or wherever it is, or or maybe the same thing in your job. Uh, We do that in our job from time to time when we have reviews, maybe somebody you work with or somebody that's over you and they call you in and they say you're doing really great in this area or maybe you need to improve in this area or whatever it may be. But it gives us general feedback to kind of understand where we are and where we stand. And so I was thinking about that in terms of the church. Uh, We've been in the book of Acts now. Uh, I believe this is the 14th week. We just finished chapter nine last week. So if you're visiting with us, we're in the book of Acts, which just tells the the unfolding of the Christian church from the time of Jesus's life, death, resurrection and then ascension. Right before he ascends, he sends them out to be his witnesses over the face of the earth. And that's in Acts chapter one. And so Acts chronicles as the gospel, the good news of what God has done through Jesus goes out and the church grows. And so we've been following our way through Acts. And and I think it's safe to say as we get to the end of chapter nine, that what we see in Acts is a very healthy church. They are growing and numbers are being added and we're seeing these things happen and people are coming to faith and their lives are being changed and people are being added daily. And what we see in Acts is a very healthy church. And so what I was thinking about when we think about health of 
uh, of ourselves or our work or the things we do. But oftentimes, I don't know that we stop and think about the health of the church and what that looks like. And so I want us to look at a verse in Acts chapter 9 this morning and lay that kind of over ourselves as as the church. And we say this frequently. Uh, maybe you're new here. You're visiting today, but uh, you don't go to church. You are the church. The church is made up of people. This building does not constitute the church. This is where the church gathers to worship. But the building itself is not the church. You are the church. And so when we talk about a healthy church, we're talking about us and how we function as the body of Christ. And so here I said this is week 14 and we've made it through nine chapters. Acts has some long chapters and a lot of verses. So we've been breaking off great big chunks as we've been going through Acts. But today we're going to stop and look at one verse in chapter nine. Luke covered the end of chapter nine last week. But as, as we were reading and as I'd been preparing before that and then listening to him last week, I want to go back and just pause on one verse here. We haven't got to do that very much in Acts because we've been working through large sections. But today I want us to look at Acts chapter nine and verse thirty one. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. And what it is, as we see several of these in the book of Acts, is the writer of Acts, Luke, at different times, will give these summary statements of what's happening. We've seen this several times already in the book, and there'll be a couple more as we go through. But he kind of summarizes everything that's happening. But these summary statements tell us a whole lot about what was going on in the health of the church and how it was happening and why it was happening. And that's why I want us to slow down and look at this one verse. And so listen to what it says in Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And so you may say, well, yeah, that's that's a nice summary statement, kind of gets us through this. And now we're going to move on to the next thing. But I want us to really stop and look at what's said there, because it tells us a whole lot about what a healthy church looks like when we stop and really look at what it's saying here. And so this is the way I want us to look at just that one verse this morning. Uh, it's going to talk about where they were going. And so I want us to start there. Where were they going? Secondly, what was happening and then how it was happening? Like how they were getting there, right? So where they were going, what was happening, and how. So that's the way we're going to look at this this morning. So let's start with just where they were going. Let me just remind you, I think Luke hit on this uh, last week. We see the beginning of chapter 9 is the conversion of Saul. And then somewhere here in the middle of the chapter, right around verse 23, there's a gap in the timeline, which we often don't pick up on when we're just reading straight through in the book of the Bible. And there's several years that pass. And so where we're picking up now, verse 31 in this summary statement, we're about seven years in to the church now. Right. So Acts begins right at 30 A.D. with the ascension of Jesus, and it takes us up to about 63 A.D. Where we sit as we read this statement is about 37 A.D. So about seven years into the church spreading. And so just so you've got your bearings of where we are and what's happening and how long it's been, that's where we are. And so what we see here, and I want you just to look at the first part of that verse, where we talk about where they were going. It says, so the church throughout all Judea. And Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And I mentioned this just a second ago. I mentioned it just about every week that we're together in Acts. And Acts 1.8 is what we have, what we call the Great Commission. One of the last things Jesus says before he ascends. And he says, you are to be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
Uh, Matthew records the Great Commission in his gospel as well in chapter 28. He says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded. Uh, We're pretty simple here at Church of the Apostles. That is our mission as a church. That's it. We, We are called to be disciples of Jesus who go and make disciples to be witnesses through the face of the earth. That was kind of the marching orders that Jesus gave the early church that still stands for us today. And so you see him telling them that. And then you get this summary statement seven years in that Luke says that now the church was in Judea and Galilee and Samaria And had peace and was being built up. And the first thing I want you to see is where they're going is they are going out into all the earth. Just as Jesus instructed them to do. That they're actually doing the things that Jesus told them to do in chapter 1. That you are to go to every place where they have not heard. That was Jesus' way of summarizing. You go to where that they have not heard the good news of the gospel and you proclaim the good news. And so right here, that summary statement is in chapter nine. And in this section, if you look more carefully of the unfolding of Acts and the way Luke is presenting it, what you really see in Acts is the gospel going out. The first five chapters are are, uh, focused in on Jerusalem and then it starts to go to Judea. At the beginning of chapter eight, we saw the gospel going into Samaria and then we see Philip witnessing to an Ethiopian man. And then we're going to get to chapter 10 and now it's going to be Gentiles, those that are the, the unbelieving people that were not Jewish. It's going to go to them. And so we see this unfolding and we have this summary statement right in the middle of this section as it's crossing new thresholds. As the gospel continues to go out. And so what I want you to see here is when we start to think about what a healthy church looks like, it's always moving out. It's always on mission, crossing new thresholds, going to places and to people who have not yet heard the gospel. And so that's what you see here in the first part of this summary, that it was in Judea and Galilee and Samaria and had peace and was being built up. But then even look there at the end of the verse. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And so healthy things multiply when they grow and they continue to grow, then they multiply. And so people were being welcomed in and the gospel was spreading and it was going out. And so when we think about a healthy church and what it looks like, we often hear talk about three areas. If you've been around Church of the Apostles for a while, you've heard me say this a lot. If you're newer or you're visiting, maybe you haven't heard me say this before, but we say when we think about the health of the church, we always want to think about the up and the in and the out. The up in that we're growing in our relationship with God. The in that we're growing in relationship with our brothers and sisters in faith. And then the out that we're going out and spreading and sharing the gospels with those that don't yet know Jesus. And to be obedient to the call that Jesus calls us to as disciples, we have to be growing in all three areas. Now, there'll be different times and different seasons in our life where maybe we see more growth in one area than the other. But to be obedient to Jesus and to be healthy, it would be all three growing together. And that's exactly what we see in this summary statement in Acts chapter 9. That they were growing in all those areas and we were seeing that. And so health looks like all three of these. Sometimes churches will tend towards one or the other. And I will tell you where we are, where we live kind of in the Bible belt in the south. It's easy to be the up and the in and stop right there. 
That's oftentimes what happens. We, we can even kind of function and like, well, well, most of my neighbors and most of my friends and most of my coworkers, uh, they, they kind of know the truth or they're Christians or they say they are, or they go to church. And so we can just kind of end up sitting right there. And I think part of it even becomes we can end up kind of just sitting in that because our natural tendency in and of ourselves is to stay with what's comfortable to us. To stay with those people that we get along with and where we believe the same way and it's easier. And so sometimes the sinfulness of our hearts, our own selfish, self-centered ways, we can go, yeah, I'm good with my relationship with God and I'm okay with loving some other people that love God, but I don't know about anything else. But if we take seriously the command of Jesus to go be witnesses across the face of the earth, to make disciples in all places, to be a healthy church, we need to be growing in our relationship with God, with one another and with those that don't yet know Jesus. And that's exactly what we see here. But then I want you to look at what was happening as they did this, as they were going and they were doing this and the gospel spreading and what leads to that spreading, what's happening here. And so look again at verse 31. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And I want to focus in just on that phrase there. And they were being built up. The word that's used there has to do with uh, building a house. Uh, it's the same word that Jesus used as in Matthew chapter 7 when he says the wise man builds his house on the rock and, and the dumb guy builds his house on the sand. Right. And so he, he's talking about building your your life and making God the center of it, that he is the rock and he's the foundation. And so he uses that word talking about building up or building a house. But what I want us to think about is I think it means more than that when you start to look at the uses of the word and the way it's used in the Bible. Right? The, the root word of that is oikos, and it has to do with the home. And I want you to think about the difference between a house and a home, if you've ever thought about that before. Right? Like if you go, like uh, Joanna, my wife and I are moving. We just sold our house, and we just moved out of it recently. And you go and you look for a new house and you're thinking about moving and you're looking at different houses that would suit your needs and have the things that you like. Oh, this is a nice house. And this, But you can walk in and you can look at different houses and just see them as the building that they are very kind of detached. Well, this doesn't have what we want here and this doesn't have here. So that's not good. And I was thinking about here we had decided that it was time to move and these different things that played into that. But when we packed up our house that we had lived in 11 years uh, a week ago, I went into our house after 11 years and I went to walk through the house uh, Wednesday night before we closed on Thursday morning. And all of a sudden, all these emotions and it was empty. There was nothing in it. Right. It's just a bunch of empty rooms. And all of a sudden I was overwhelmed because of all the things that had happened in that house the last 11 years. My son Asher was six months when we moved in. Right. Asher's now 11. My son Jed and Quinn were both born in that house. Uh, neighbors and friends and people in the church and different times have been there and shared meals and times. And all of a sudden I was overwhelmed with leaving that place. And it had nothing to do with the floors or the walls or the piece of land that it was sitting on. It had become a home because of the people that had been in it and the things that God had done and the things that we had seen in that time. And so I was thinking about that analogy of when that house was just I don't have any emotional attachment. You know, I, I changed the stair treads, but I wasn't emotional because, oh, I'm leaving the stair treads that I changed. Right. That's not why. 
It was because of all that had gone into living there. And I think when you see this here and it's talking about being built up into this house or this, that's really what the word is talking about. It's really talking about being built up into a home or a family. It's something much deeper than just the building or the place. And so that's the word oikos that we see throughout the New Testament. That's the connotation it carries. A home, a family. And what it tells us here is as they were going and as the gospel was spreading and as they were walking together, they were being built up into this family, into this home that were sharing their lives together. That was far more than just uh, uh, coming together at a building or a place. It wasn't talking about they were being built up and they were doing new building projects. They were being built up together, being knit together in the Lord as a family. Uh, oftentimes when we do uh, premarital counseling, you draw this little uh, diagram that you've probably seen before. It's about as simple as it gets. And it's a triangle and you put the, the husband or, or the, the groom on one corner and the bride on the other corner. And then you put God at the top and, and you just talk about how um, as you grow closer to God, you will go closer to one another in your relationship. And it's just a way to talk about God being the center of your relationship. And that's super simple and it's easy, but it needs to be super simple with young married, about to be married people who think everything's perfect and it's all great and it's all wonderful. And you know, no, 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 God needs to be the center of this. But that diagram is so helpful because that's what we're talking about here. As these people were seeing God move and they were working together in this and they were walking this out together, they were being built up as they were growing closer to God and to one another and they're becoming a family. They're being built up into this home and not just a place. And so we see here what is happening is they're being built up into this thing that's far more than just meeting together at a building or a place. And so when we think about uh, what's going on here, we have that they were going out into all these places. But as they do, they were seeing God move. They were seeing people come to faith. They were growing closer to God and they were being built up into this family. And so you see that as the marks of a healthy church and what that looks like. But what I want us to think about is how that happens. Now, part of it we've already seen is being on mission together. When you go out and you proclaim the gospel and you see God move and you see him doing those things as you're going on mission together, it unites you into something greater as you see God moving. But it tells us some specifics about what was happening here if you look closely of how that all goes together. And so look at the last part of verse 31. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And I want us to think about those two phrases there because they almost seem antithetical. They almost seem like they don't go together. They were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Fear and comfort don't normally put those side by side, do we? Or we don't normally think that way. So fear of the Lord and comfort of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible shows us things like this at different times that seem to be at opposite extremes that we we can wrestle with. For example, uh, grace and then obedience to the law. Oftentimes we end up with those on differing ends. We say here every week, unapologetically, you are saved by grace through faith in what Christ has done for you. You are saved because of what Jesus has done. He's done what you could never do for yourself. And you are saved by putting your faith in his finished work. 
But then the Bible tells us we're to be obedient and we're to follow him and we're to do the things that he calls us to do. And we can fall into this trap and believe uh, one of two lies as we think about the way those relate. We can swing to one side and and begin to fall into this trap that I am uh, good with God and I'm saved because of how obedient I am. That's a lie. That's not true. You can never be obedient enough to save yourself. God is perfect and holy in every way. And that's why we need Jesus to do what we could never do for us. But when we start to swing into that type of thinking, it leads to all sorts of errors. The same is true when we swing to the other side and we say it's all grace. I'm saved by grace. And so now I can do whatever I want. Right. That, that was actually a problem in the early church. Oh, it's all grace. God does it all. Sure. I believe in Jesus. and I'm going to go do whatever I want. To which Paul very directly uh, speaks to in Romans six. Should we continue to sin so that grace abounds? And he says, by no means. That's not who you are anymore. You're a new creation and you're caused to walk in a newness of life because of what Jesus has done for you. But sometimes we swing in those extremes, like with grace and the law. And I think the same can be true. And I think they're connected when we begin to think about this idea of walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to consider what that means and what that looks like. They were walking in this way and they're being built up and there's peace and it's multiplied. So apparently that's a pretty important good thing that's being called out or highlighted by Luke here. So it's important that we think about what that means. And so I want you to think about just that idea of the fear of the Lord. It actually says a lot of times in Acts that they were afraid. They saw some stuff that God did and all of a sudden everybody was kind of like, whoa, it's kind of scary. Uh, if you think or if you were with us a few weeks ago, when we went through Acts chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira. If you remember that story, it's the beginning of Acts chapter five. Ananias and his wife decide to sell some property and bring it to the apostles and lay it at their feet. But they concocted this plan that we're going to bring what we sold and say we're giving it all, but we're going to keep some back for ourselves. And so Ananias comes in first and he brings the money and he puts it at the apostles feet. And Peter says, is that all of it? Are you being truthful? Is that really it? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. And he says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And Ananias falls down dead. It's a pretty intense story. Sapphira comes in a couple hours later, his wife. Peter says, are you sure this is all of it? She does just like her husband. Yep, yep, it's all of it. And he says to her, uh, how is it that you have agreed to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out pretty intense. But you know how that story ends. Verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard of these things. Everybody's scared. And if you think about it, it's pretty scary. I mean, that whole story is they fall down dead because they lied. It wasn't anything other than that. They were actually still giving a lot of money as they were lying. And so you read that and you go, whoa, that's intense. And if you think about it, think that through and you're sitting there watching that. They just died for lying. Oh, yeah, I'm a liar. Right. All of a sudden you're like, it's kind of scary. If that could happen, if God would be just to do that, and he is. He would be just to strike us dead at any moment in our sin. But it is by his grace that he doesn't. We don't like to think about that. But when you start to think about it, all of a sudden you go, whoa, that's pretty intense. 
is pretty serious. And it tells us that they were afraid. And if you stop and you think about this and you take it all the way through with what the Bible tells us, it says God knows all your thoughts and all your intentions and the things you're going to say before you say them. And so even though you may not lie in front of the church, yes, I'm bringing all my money and stand up and say it. God knows your heart. Right. David's wrestling with this in Psalm 139. If you've ever read through that, where do I go that you're not there? And he says, I go to the mountains. You're there. I go to the depths. You're there. You know, my thoughts before I have them, you know, everything about me. And he's like freaking out in the middle of that. It's pretty intense when you stop to think about it. And I want to say I want to balance this, but I don't want to just wipe that away. That is part of the fear of the Lord. That you understand that all that you are and all that you have is owed to God. He created you. He made you. He holds you together. You answer to him above all else. And what it is, I think that we don't feel that a lot of times is we just ignore it. We just pretend it doesn't exist. We confess if we're Bible believing Christians, we confess that God does know all of it. And that he is holy and that he is righteous. And we see those things and then we just kind of ignore. But yeah, I'll just kind of sweep that aside. You know, Dan read for us from Isaiah 6 this morning. That passage where Isaiah is brought into the throne room of God and he sees the angelic realm and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And he sees this scene and as he sees it, it says the foundations and the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And then what does he say? Woe is me. I am a sinner. I'm a man of unclean lips. Suddenly he realizes what it looks like to stand before a holy, righteous, perfect God. And it's scary. And so when we talk about the fear of the Lord, that's part of it. Recognizing that we worship a God who is holy and he's righteous and that he holds all things together, that we answer to him and not the other way around. And oftentimes we forget this. We pretend like it doesn't exist. But we also need to have a good balance. I talked just a second ago about how we can swing from grace to law and back and forth and we can get into those errors. The same is true if we paint this picture of God is holy and he's righteous so we should walk around cowering in fear all the time. Because the Bible gives us a much fuller picture than that. As one of my favorite professors used to say, and I like to say it often, we need to be in the center of the biblical tension. Yes, God is holy and yes, God is righteous and yes, we answer to him, but he's also good. And he's also loving. And he's also gracious. And we need to balance those two things together. And so if you would, if you would flip over with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 13 and following for just a second. Because I want us to balance this. When we see that it tells us they were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So 1 John is written by the Apostle John, who is here in Acts when all this is going on. 
Right? We've already seen John and Peter doing miraculous things and they're, they're leading and they're there and they're part of this. And so it's the same John who is there walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit with these people as they, they went and he saw the church growing and then he writes this. God inspires him. So first John chapter four, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Right? By what Jesus has done, we now have perfect unity with the father. And he abides in us and us in him and he sends his spirit to show us that. The Holy Spirit comes and bears witness that we are his that Jesus has removed our sin, that he has dealt with all of our mistakes. He has borne the wrath of God on our behalf. And now we can have perfect unity with the father because of what Jesus has done. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in his love abides in God and God abides in him. We are hidden in the love of God because of what Christ has done. He has made us new. He has washed us clean. He has taken our sins. He has borne the wrath of God on our behalf. And now we are secure in the love of God because of what Christ has done. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And we love because he first loved us. He says we are afraid to stand before a holy, righteous God because we know we are sinners. But thanks be to God, he has saved us in Jesus. You don't have to be afraid. Yes, you are a broken sinner who cannot stand before a holy, righteous God that holds everything together. But because of what Jesus has done, you are being perfected in his love. So it is right to walk with a healthy reverence for who God is. We exist because God says so. But we are walking in unbelief when we walk around cowering. Oh, no, God might be out to get me. No, God loves you. And he's done what you could never do for you. And you can rest in that. And so when he says they walked in a fear of the Lord. Believing what God can do, seeing what he's moving and how he's doing it, and that he holds all things together. But then they're also walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. For the spirit comes and says, Jesus has done everything for you. And the spirit moves and magnifies Christ in your life. And when you are guilty and full of shame and you are wrestling with those things, the Holy Spirit comes in and says, my beloved child, I have made you new in Jesus. What a glorious truth. You can't stand before God on your own. And it is terrifying to even think about trying. But because of what Jesus has done, we can 
And so it says here that they were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, they're being they're having peace and they're being built up and the gospel is spreading and it's going into these places and it's multiplying. And I want you to think for just a second about kind of the nuts and bolts of how that works. What that looks like. And it's something here we talk about as being fluent in the gospel. That we as a body are called to be speaking the truth to one another in love. And as we begin to walk this out, our new identity of who we are in Christ and what it looks like, we're to come alongside one another. And we're to encourage one another. And as we seek to be more and more obedient, walking in the fear of the Lord, walking in a newness of life that Jesus, by his grace, all that I have is his. And I want to honor him with everything in my life. And as I seek to walk that out, guess what happens? I sin and I stumble and I do stupid things and I go back to the way that I used to do things. And I need people to come alongside of me and speak the truth of who we now are in Jesus. And we all desperately need that. And if we're going to grow and be a healthy church, we're growing in our relationship with God, but with one another and to the world. And we need all three of them working together. And so we talk about a fluency of the gospel. It's being able to speak the truth of God's word into one another's lives in everything. To be able to come to one another and go, I blew it. I lost my temper yesterday with my spouse. And your brothers and sisters come alongside you and they go, yes, and God's forgiven you in Jesus. And God is gracious and he loves you and he's making you new. You go, I'm so anxious because I have bills piling up and I don't know how to pay it and I'm not sure what's going to happen. You go, God is in control of this. He is sovereignly in control and he loves you and he's going to take care of you in that. And we're going to walk with you through that and we're going to seek to meet those needs with you. That's how it goes from this being a building that you meet once a week to it being a home. To it being a family. So when we gather together early so people can come and say, pray for me. I want to pray for healing. I want to pray God would do this. And we go, yes, we get to pray together. God never designed us to live in our relationship just one on one with him. It was always in the context of a community. And we're called to do that together. And it was never designed to be you come to a building for an hour a week and then say, see you later. That's not what a home or a family looks like. It's we share our burdens with one another and we walk that out together and we continue to speak the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done and everything. Just thinking about all of this and seeing it together, and I say this frequently, and it, it makes sense to kind of tack that on to here this morning. That's why I love the Jericho house. These guys get to live together for a year, and they begin to do this in a way they've never done it before. It's really hard, isn't it, at first? <laughs> Suddenly people are in your business, and they're speaking to you, and they're telling you the truth, and you're like, leave me alone 
and you don't have anywhere to go. (laughs) But that's what the church looks like. They're kind of forced into that. And then they become part of this body and they help to, to spread that amongst us. That that's what we're called to do. And then as we do, and as we speak the truth, and as we walk together, and as we love one another, and as we're built up into a family, guess what? It becomes the most powerful witness to the the glory of God and what he's doing. People see when we truly love one another and walk that way and they see that and they go, what in the world is going on there? That's why Jesus said, you will know my disciples by the way they love each other. That fruit will be born out of loving one another and walking that way. And people go, wow. And here's why, because in the midst of all of that, it's good news. It's not, hey, I'm struggling with this. And you go, yeah, you're a pitiful Christian. Good luck with that. You speak the gospel. Thanks be to God, we're not saved by being perfect Christians. We're saved by what Jesus has done for us. And we remind one another of that. And we continue to say that and to carry one another along in that. And what happens is God changes us by his grace. And he's glorified in all of it. So when I think about what it looks like to be a healthy church, I think that's what it looks like. And I think so many ways this church is like that. And I am so thankful for that. But I feel it in my own heart and I see it. I don't want to settle for being kind of like that. I want to be so overwhelmed by that. That we see what it says here. So we're walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit and we're being built up and we're living in peace and it's multiplying and we're seeing people come to faith. Oh, that that would be the witness of this local body. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious picture you give us of your body. We thank you that at the center of all of it, is the glorious truth that you've done what we could never do for us. That we are your beloved children, not because of how well we do these things, but completely and totally by what Jesus has done for us. I pray that we would see that afresh today. That we would rest in the wonderful freedom that we have in Christ. That you truly would build us up deeper and deeper into a family that loves you, that seeks to honor you, that is walking in this peace that passes all understanding, that doesn't make sense to the world watching, that we would have the proper reverence for you in your name, that you hold all things together, but at the same time that we would live in the comfort of the Holy Spirit in every area of our life as you continue to point us to what you finished in Jesus. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.